Well, it's so good to see you all this morning. Happy Easter to you and your family. Um, I'm Tyler. I'm the campus pastor here at CTK Blaine. We just want to welcome you. Uh, we are so thankful uh, that you are here with us, whether you are visiting, whether you come here every week. Um, we're equally, I want you to know we're equally thankful. Uh, <laughs> regardless of, of why you're here, we're, we're glad you're here. Um, if you'd like to get more connected with us, we left some cards in the seats. It's a really easy way for you if you feel during the service like, yeah, you know, I want to get more connected at this church or this community or explore a little bit more, or have questions about faith or baptism or whatever it is. Uh, we just wanted to create a simple way for you to respond. If you, if you want to fill that out, you can put the, there's a white basket in the back of the uh, worship center here, and then there's one out in the lobby. So feel free to do that. Um, and yeah, we would love to connect with you. If you have a prayer request today, you can put that on there. We would love to pray for you. And we're going to have prayer available over here after the service. If you just need someone to pray with you, to listen, um, we, we will be there. I'll be there. Um, and uh, we do have child care too, by the way. So um, yeah, kids are, you, you might, you, if you're here every week, kids are usually in here for worship. It's, uh, we figured with, with more people coming, we would have the kids the full time, and they're doing some great activities, uh, zero through 11, so if you're a kid, you want to go have fun, it's still going on. There's a party going on down the hall, so uh, you're welcome to join that. So yeah, so we are, we're going to talk a little bit about Easter today, but I want to pray uh, before I get into uh, this message this morning. God, I thank you for your amazing, amazing miracle, um, the, the resurrection, God. We celebrate what that means, and we don't pretend to know it all, but we know, God, that at the resurrection, you conquered death for all time, Lord. And so I pray that you would expand our view of you today, that you would expand our view of who Jesus is, who you are, what the resurrection is about, that it's, it's not a minor detail in history, but it is the crux of history. It changed everything. And so we come here to celebrate that today. But Lord, I also pray for everyone here that they would receive something from you today. Lord, that we don't, we don't come to just hear a good talk. We don't come to just hear good music, Lord. We come because you are here and you want to do something today. And so we ask for you uh, in the power of the Spirit to do something today. Do it in our hearts. Be at work in this place. In Jesus' name, amen. So, yeah, so... Um, I know there's a lot of reasons why we gather for Easter, and if somebody invited you today, if you're here because someone invited you, I want you to feel really awkward. Would you just raise your hand? <laughs> Look at these. Okay. Uh, okay, we got a few people. Let's give it up for, for the people who came and were brave because they were invited, and some of you are like, there's no way I'm raising my hand, so I get it, I get it. Um, but yeah, some of us come to Easter out of, out of, for family, for tradition. Um, some of here may be in a place in life where we're looking for inspiration. Um, some of us are here because we were invited, and some of us are here because we're here every week, and that's awesome. Um, but regardless of why we're here, I want you to know this today. I want you to know that what Jesus did on the cross and in the empty tomb was as much for you today as it is for anyone else in history in all time. That the cross and the, and the empty tomb matter as much today as they did back in the day when Jesus rose from the dead. 
that when Jesus rose from the dead, he was taking a pen and he was encircling the whole world for all of history and saying, these are my people. These are the people I died for. These are the people I want to offer new life to. And so we get to celebrate that. And so that includes you sitting here in Blaine, Washington in, in the year 2023. And that's what I want to talk to you about today. Because Jesus didn't just come for a selected few. Jesus didn't come for just a few people who look good on the outside or a few people who go to church every week. He went, he came for everybody. He came for the whole world. He came to try to reconcile the whole world to himself. And so that's what I want to talk about today. And what we're going to look at today is a moment that Jesus had before he went to the cross, the day before he went to the cross. He had a moment with his disciples uh, where he talked about the resurrection, where he told them what would happen, that he would die and yet he would raise again. And wouldn't you know it, these guys did not understand what was going on at all. These were guys who had been with Jesus for three years. Jesus spent 12, or three years with these 12 guys talking about the kingdom of God, showing himself who he was, and still they, we come to the end of his time with them, and they're clueless. That, I want you to know that's good news for us, right? Because if we're still trying to figure it out, you need to know the guys who spent three years with Jesus in the flesh were clueless at the time of his crucifixion and resurrection. In fact, only one disciple made it to the cross, John. He was the only one that was with his mother, Mary. All the rest scattered. They were so afraid. They were so bewildered. They had no idea what was going on. They couldn't fathom why he would die on a cross. They had no clue about this idea of resurrection, what, what that would mean, or that, even that that was possible. But the verse I want to focus in on, I'm going to focus in on the, on the last verse of this passage, and then we're going to go back and, and talk about the story. But the, the verse I want you to know today is this. This is what Jesus told his disciples. He said, I have told you all this so that you may have peace in me. Here on earth, you will have many trials and sorrows, but take heart because I have overcome the world. I'm going to rewind the conversation here in a bit, but this is what I want to focus on. Jesus says, on the earth, we can anticipate having many trials and many sorrows, but that we need to take heart, not give up, not fear, because he has overcome the world. This world, with the sorrows and trials, Jesus himself has overcome. That's what he said. This is the world that you live in and I live in. This is the world that always seems like it's falling apart. Like it's one bad news story away from falling apart completely, right? One bad tweet away from falling. Oh, no, that's just us, right? We're all one bad tweet away from being written off forever. Um, no, this isn't, this isn't just the ancient world. This isn't a, just another world. This is our world, your world, your world that's full of stress, problems, and grief. This is the world that Jesus overcame. What Jesus did on the cross is he canceled our sin. He removed our sin. Our sin is our failures, our addictions, our rebellious heart. That it always wants to veer away from God. That I would include myself in there. I know what it means to be rebellious against God. He died. While we were still his enemies, it said. He died so that our sin could be removed from us. And then when he came out of the tomb on Easter morning, he overthrew death. 
overthrew it, conquered it. Death. I'm talking about death. You guys know death? He conquered it at the tomb, and that is good news. So he overcame the world. There's nothing that the world can do to slow Jesus down. There's nothing Jesus, or there's nothing the world can do that can stop the work of Jesus in the world. We might stop, but Jesus doesn't stop. Jesus' work continues in the world. And I think there's something so true. I wanted to focus on this verse today because I think there's something so true in it. It's that we are all constantly at war with the world. Whether we realize it or not, we're always constantly at war with the world that we live in. And if you need proof, you need to know today that there are nine Rocky movies. Nine of them. <laughs> Why would they make nine Rocky movies? I know they switched to Creed, but it's still Rocky, you know? But there's nine Rocky movies, and I am a fan of these movies. I watch them. And you know it's more than, about more than just the boxing match. Yeah, he's got to face Clubber Lang. He's got to face Ivan Drago. But it's about more than that. The first movie, Rocky's poor. He's fighting to survive on the streets of Philadelphia, which is not as tough a town as Blaine, but pretty close. <laughs> and in the second movie, his wife is having like pregnancy complications, trying to figure life out, what to do about his fame. In the third movie, his manager dies. In the fourth movie, his, his best friend dies, and he takes on the entire Soviet Union. <laughs> and then I don't get it. The fifth movie, he, it's just terrible. I don't know if you've seen it, but the fifth movie is absolutely terrible. In the sixth movie, movie, his wife dies. It is a saga, right? It's a saga, and it's about, it shows you, it, it makes it perfectly clear that this world is full of sorrows and trials. And as soon as we finish one, we're on to the next. And I know that if they made nine movies about your life, it might not be as exciting as, as Rocky, but there's sorrow in there. There's trials. There's difficulty. You've had things happen to you. Your life is a saga with sorrow and trials that the world has thrown at you, woven into it. And so Jesus' Jesus's statement, his first statement, is absolutely true. That in this world, we will have sorrows and trials. I think universally, we could say that to be true. The world will always surprise us with sorrow. It's hard to look at the news feel that a little bit, right? Unless we're completely ignoring it, which is one option, right? We can totally ignore the news today. But we're starting to see weird things peer up on news feeds. I don't know if you've seen like the words nuclear threat kind of just peer out over there. That's a little disconcerting, right? But we see this world is full of so much sorrow, so many trials. And here to this world, to this still world that seems like it's falling apart all the time, Jesus says, take heart. I've overcome the world. Take heart. Don't be dismayed by what you see. Don't let it drag you down. I've overcome the world. So what I need to do and what you need to do is figure out what does Jesus mean by that? If the world is falling apart, if my world is falling apart, what does Jesus mean when he says, I've overcome it? Because if he's overcome it, I want to know <laughs> what that means for me. I want to know what that means. 
And you might be here today and kind of just barely here. You might be in a battle right now. You might be in the fight right now. You might be distracted by stuff going on at work or at home. Whatever it is, you know, we all are fighting this battle, and so you may feel this more than others. But all I know is I'm totally on board with what Jesus said, and I totally agree with it, and it clicks that in this world we have trials and sorrows. And I desperately want to connect the dots between, yes, this is true, and what does it mean for me? How can I take heart in the fact that you have overcome the world? And so what we're going to do is we're going to back up and we're going to look at this conversation that Jesus had with his disciples. You know, for as popular a guy as Jesus was on earth, he really only invested in, like, 12 guys, disciples. We knew that several women followed Jesus as well, but he, he didn't look for fame. He's the most famous person that ever walked on the earth. Yet Jesus started by limiting his audience to these 12 guys. And what he did is Jesus used the limits of relationship to invest and focus in people specifically. These are people that would die for the faith and spread his gospel all over the world. If you want to know if they really believed that Jesus rose from the dead, they were willing to sacrifice their lives for it, right? They were willing to surrender everything, not just after, not just during Jesus's time on earth, but after he rose. They were willing to sacrifice everything. It didn't slow down. So they've spent three years with Jesus. This is, this is as random a group of guys as you will meet. Fishermen, tax collectors, political activists, all sharing meals together, all hanging out, all sharing life together for three years. And Jesus is leading this group, discipling this group, um, teaching this group as they go. It's, it, it, he spends time in teaching, and he spends time by teaching by example. They're just doing everything, healing, miracles. It's all a blur. And then it gets to this moment where it feels like everything's precarious all of a sudden to these guys and they're confused what is going on because all of a sudden in John 16 Jesus starts talking about leaving them and they don't know what to do about it they're confused like what what their picture was Jesus sort of taking over Israel taking back Israel from the Romans and then just kind of going from there they they envisioned a more political takeover than what Jesus had in mind they didn't see the cross coming, and they didn't see the resurrection coming. Jesus had a different plan. He was going to overcome the evil of the world, not by taking life, but by surrendering his own life. He was going to defeat death by dying and rising again. And Jesus wanted them to get on the same page. He wanted to encourage them. He wanted to reassure them that, hey, you're not going to understand the plan, but it's good. It's going to be good for you. And I'm sure in this moment, sometimes we feel like it's the end of the world. I'm sure they felt like it was the end of the world at this moment, that the bottom was just going to fall out. And, and, and Jesus was preparing them for that moment. So we're going to look at John 16. Uh, this is verse 16. Uh, it says, in a little, this is Jesus talking to his disciples. He says, in a little while you won't see me anymore, but a little while after that you will see me again. 
Some of the disciples asked each other, what does he mean when he says, in a little while you won't see me, but then you will see me, and I am going to the Father? And what does he mean by a little while we don't understand? So see, they're confused, right? They, what are you saying, Jesus? I don't, I'm not following. Jesus realized they wanted to ask him about it. So he said, are you asking yourselves what I meant? I said in a little while you won't see me, but a little while after that you will see me again. I tell you the truth. You will weep and mourn over what is going to happen to me, but the world will rejoice. You will grieve, but your grief will suddenly turn to wonderful joy. It will be like a woman suffering the pains of labor. When her child is born, her anguish gives way to joy because she has brought a new baby into the world. So you have sorrow now, but I will see you again, and then you will rejoice, and no one can rob you of that joy. At that time, you won't need to ask me for anything. I tell you the truth, you will ask the Father directly, and he will grant your request because you use my name. You haven't done this before. Ask using my name, and you will receive, and you will have abundant joy. So the disciples are confused. Where are you going, Jesus? Are you taking a trip to heaven and coming back? They're not sure where he's going. And Jesus explains, listen, there's going to be a time of grief ahead. When we come to the cross, when, when we come before the cross, we feel weight. We feel weight. We feel the weight of our sin. We feel the weight of what Jesus had to do. As, as Shea beautifully read, the sacrifice of a pure man, the holy God, and we grieve. But it's at this cross where we we see the love of God. Jesus connected complete love to complete sacrifice. That was his definition of love, that he not just said, but demonstrated on the cross, that he'd be willing to die for me and for you because of love, because he loved us so much. And it's because of this horrible event, but the expression of love and the resurrection that the world can rejoice. He said, you'll be grieved, but the world will rejoice. You know why? Because the world's been completely separated from God. And I'm the only solution. This is the only way. My death, my resurrection, it's the only way to restore humanity to God. To offer a way to salvation, to offer forgiveness of sins. So the world will rejoice because when they've been separate from God, as John says in John chapter 1, fumbling around in the dark. And here comes Jesus, the light of the world. And this cross is the biggest amplification, and the resurrection is the biggest amplification of the light of the world, that everyone can see the, the glory of God in Jesus and the truth of God in Jesus. That's why we celebrate today. That's why we experience joy when we worship him. Jesus doesn't want us to come to the cross and leave us there. He wants us to experience the joy of the resurrection. He wants us to live in the joy of what he's done. It was a moment. It was work that he did. And sometimes we need to come there because, because we've gone off. We've done our own thing. We've been rebellious. We need to come back and be like, I want to live under the grace of the cross again. But he's not there to keep us pinned down. He's there so that we can experience and the world can experience joy. 
which is honestly what we're all chasing. We're all chasing deep joy. And Jesus is the only way, channel, a person that can offer that to the world. And so we get to live with the joyous result of the cross and resurrection, the freedom of that. That wasn't your work. That was Jesus's work, right? Jesus took up his cross for you. In response, we take up our own crosses and follow him, right? But his work was the work to save us. And so we get to live in that joy. And I love that Jesus uses this personal, very personal image of a woman giving birth. Right? In the moment, um, birth is not so much fun. Right? I've had three kids. I've watched my wife endure <laughs> three births. I was there for all of them. I'm not living in the 1950s. Today, we're, men are present in the room, you know? And it's tough. With our first daughter, Bonnie pushed for four hours. And uh, some of you are like, I pushed for eight, I pushed for nine. It, was, it felt like an eternity, right? And, it, it, and my daughter had the biggest cone head you've ever seen. <laughs> but, but birth is so difficult, but yet it does give way to so much joy. And you need to realize in Jesus' time, childbirth was an even riskier proposition. Uh, the mortality rates for both the kids and the mothers were extremely high. Um, there's a, a record of a Roman woman at that time who's married to a centurion, um, a Roman general, and she had six pregnancies and died by the age of 27. Only one of her kids lived to adulthood. And this is not an unusual story for back then. So when, when they approach birth, like it's serious. It is this kind of serious, somber moment, not knowing what will happen. And it still is. Um, but even in Jesus' time, there was a lot more tragedy um, com um, commonly involved. And I like how the N NIV translates verse 27. It says, A woman giving birth to a child has pain because her time has come. But when her baby is born, she forgets the anguish because of her joy that a child is born into the world. Truly, after that work, after that sacrifice, after that, there is so much joy, right? And so Jesus says there is anguish ahead. There is anguish ahead, but it will give way to joy. And as Jesus spoke these words, he knew that his own time had come. That he had, he had been working, he had been involved uh, in, uh, in ministry on the earth, proclaiming the kingdom of God, healing, preaching, all these things. And that window of time was coming to a close. And he had the cross before him. It was time for, for him to give up his life so that we might experience a new life, a spiritual life. This is why the world rejoices because we get to experience a brand new life in Christ, in freedom. He would die, but the world would rejoice because God made a way. And this would be the only way for the world to experience reconnection with God. Jesus said in John 14 that he is the way, the truth, and the life, and that no one would come to the Father except through him, but that everyone is welcome. <laughs> This is the most inclusive, exclusive thing ever. But that's what Jesus said. And so, friend, if you want to experience life 
in God, it goes through Jesus. It goes through the cross. It goes through resurrection. The resurrection not only of, of Jesus on earth, but the resurrection he wants to do in your own life. He wants to make dead things alive. He wants to make souls that are dead alive. He wants people to be fully alive, fully who God intended them to be. And he made a way for all of us. He says to his disciples, So you have sorrow now, but I will see you again, and then you will rejoice, because no one can rob that joy from you. What God gives you, no one can take from you. So if God gives you life, nobody can take that away from you. You may wander away, but nobody can take it away. And so he says this to his disciples who would more or less abandon him within 24 hours. But they would get it eventually. They would get it to the point that they were willing to give everything for it. A life that would lead them to live fully to the point of surrendering their lives in pursuit of God and his kingdom. They had the hope of heaven in their hearts. Life can't really promise us anything. Our life here, I mean, take it from Rocky. Life can't really promise us anything, but Jesus can. You know why? Because Jesus overcame the world. He's in control. So when we follow Jesus, we follow him into an everlasting joy. We follow him into joy. And I, I'm here to tell you that this joy is not just that we are on a perma-Jesus high. Like, I'm always excited. My lips are always up like this. I'm always smiling. Um, I'm always in a good mood. If you know me, that you know that's not true. Uh, I mean, just, I was running around like a chicken with my head cut off yesterday at the Easter egg hunt, if you saw me. You know, I was, no, I, I was doing all right. But just saying. Um, but it doesn't mean that we're always on this mountaintop. But it does mean that no matter what's going on in life, we have a source of joy that won't run out. That when I seek Jesus, no matter what's going on in life, I always find joy. Because I always have him. No matter where I go or what, I where, what circumstances I find myself in, uh, no matter how much stress is piling on, like that joy is still there. And it's even sweeter in the dark times. When you're in a dark time and Jesus speaks to you, there is nothing like it, right? When you, re when you receive that promise, because God's at work with you and through you all the time. And God often works more in the times where, where you feel weak uh, than when you feel strong. God uses your weakness to reach a world. He said he sends his believers out, he sends his disciples out like lambs among wolves, that doesn't sound like a lot of fun, but God uses our weakness and vulnerability to reach the world. Just like Jesus being in his most vulnerable moment, exposed on a cross, dying for the sins of the world, that was the moment that changed everything. So it's a deep joy. It's easy to try to find joy in other places, in temporary places. Uh, it's easy to find joy. Oh, man, I'm, I'm just so tired tonight. I'm going to binge watch six hours of Amazon Prime, you know. It's easy to try to find that, that joy, uh, you know. But Jesus is a deeper joy. Jesus is a deeper joy, a constant joy. I never feel good after watching two hours of television. I'm like, man, that was a great decision. 
I'm, I'm really pleased with myself. I never feel that way. I'm always pleased when I spend time in God's word, spend time in God's family, and I'm pursuing Jesus. There's always joy there. And look at what Jesus says. Here's the nature of this, of the cross and resurrection. It changes our relationship with God. He says to his disciples, hey, ask using my name, and you will receive, and you will have abundant joy. Right? So now you can ask God anything. Why? Because I've made this bridge for you. I've made a bridge for you. And so you can ask Jesus for that joy. You can ask Jesus for new life even right now. And Jesus is enough. Jesus is enough for you. So the conversation continues. Jesus says this, Though I have been speaking figuratively, a time is coming when I will no longer use this kind of language, but will tell you plainly about my Father. In that day, you will ask in my name. I'm not saying that I will ask the Father on your behalf. No, the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. I came from the Father and entered the world, and now I am leaving the world and going back to the Father. Then Jesus' disciples said, Now you are speaking clearly and without figures of speech. Now we, now we can see that you know all things and that you do not even need to have anyone ask you questions. This makes us believe that you came from God. So it only took three years, but they're starting to get it a little bit. Jesus says, do you now believe, Jesus replied, a time is coming and in fact has come when you will be scattered each to your own home. You will leave me all alone, yet I am not alone for my father is with me. I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Jesus is talking about what's about to happen. Here it is. I've overcome the world this weekend. <laughs> I have overcome the world. They believe it in that moment, but then 24 hours later, they'll scatter, right? So here Jesus brings us to his point. He says, I'm not telling you all this to scare you, but I'm telling you all this so that you can have peace in me. Jesus wants to lead us into peace and into joy in him. Jesus doesn't want to lead us into guilt, shame, and abandonment, which I believed for a few years growing up in the church. I thought Jesus want me, wanted me to just live under his thumb, but that's not what he wants. He wants us to be who he created us to be as humans. God's plan for humanity, not our plan for humanity. He wanted to be made new, that we would be hu humans connected to God and fully alive in him, knowing our purpose, knowing why we're here, <laughs> knowing what life is about, teaching our kids to do the same. Jesus died so that we could have that. So we could have a life in him, new life, everlasting life, that we would experience a life of peace and joy, which is something. So this is the victory that we celebrate today, that Jesus made a way for us to experience peace with God, and Jesus made a way for us to experience joy in relationship to God, that God wouldn't just be with us, that God would be in us, through his spirit, that his spirit would live in us. And that his wounds were enough to cover all the shame, all the guilt, all the hurt. 
God didn't just bore our sins on the cross. He bore the sins that others have committed against us. That's why it says in Isaiah that he bore our griefs on the cross as well. And what we know from this is that we, this, this world is under a curse. It's cursed. We know the world doesn't operate the way it should. Right? I, don't, I haven't met a person who said, yeah, everything's great in the world. The world's just going great. It's running just the way it should be running. Uh, everything's good. Everybody's getting along. No. Like, we know there's something fundamentally wrong with the world. It, it just is. What the Bible explains to us way back in Genesis 3, way back with Adam and Eve, is that the wor- living, in, living in this world is going to be difficult. God tells Adam in Genesis 3, Cursed is the ground because of you. Now, because of you, not because of God. Through painful toil, you will eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles from you. You will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground. Since from it you were taken, for dust you are and dust you will return. This was the cost of our sin before God. Right? This was, okay, you want to be rebellious. You want to have your own planet, this planet I created for you. Okay, here you go. And life became hard. This is the curse that Jesus himself came to break for us. Right? And the only way that we can experience peace from this curse is through Jesus. That life without him will always be hard. It will always be a struggle. We'll, we'll really suffer to find joy. And then we'll die. But with Jesus, we have joy both now and forever. We have peace both now and forever. We're still in a world that's cursed, obviously, but we have peace with God. Jesus came proclaiming a new kingdom, a kingdom that doesn't run by bylaws and all this different stuff. It's, it's written right here. It's written on our hearts. And so my point today is this. My point today is this. You will never be overcome by the world if you trust in Jesus. The world cannot defeat you if you trust in Jesus. The world cannot conquer you if you trust in Jesus. He is the way, the way, the truth, and the life. If you want to overcome, overcome with Jesus. You have a lot of things that you can trust in this world. You know, whether it's a retirement account, uh, whether it is just living kind of your own private life, whether it's wealth, health, family, blah, 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 you know, whatever. We, you, know, you know what it is for you. But I would ask you today, how sturdy are the things that you trust in? I was at the donation drop at Value Village a few weeks ago, and I saw something I've never seen in my life. The guy in front of me opened his trunk, and in his trunk he had a parachute that he was donating to Value Village. I was like, that seems risky. (laughs) That seems risky. Uh, If you buy a secondhand parachute that somebody wanted to give away. Um, I would love to meet the person that bought that. I had a friend this week kind of ruin that story for me uh, because she said, well, maybe a crafter would buy it. I'm like, no, I'm not going to. I just said that, but I was like, I'm not going to go there. But we trust in a lot of silly things, you know, and some of the things that we think will, you know, stay together and stay intact, whether it's our retirement or our home or our country or our world, whatever, how big your umbrella is, I don't know. But 
it, it's all like this secondhand parachute, right? It's not as sturdy as we think. It can crumble in a moment. So I would propose that Jesus really isn't that risky of a, of a solution. I would propose that Jesus is really the best solution because he is the only solution. And that everything else is like a secondhand parachute. Do you want to risk your life <laughs> jumping out of a blade with a secondhand parachute? I wouldn't. I don't know. Um, I would just say Jesus being the king of the universe is a pretty good bet. Pretty good bet to follow. It says this about Jesus in Colossians 1. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Okay, so Jesus is before all things. In him all things hold together. He is supreme. He's the one you want to trust. The question is, will you trust him? That's the question. That's the question. Will you trust him? There's a point in all of our lives where we have to make that decision. For me, it was when I was entering college as a freshman in college. I had a lot of choices at that time. There's a lot available to you in college. And I had really struggled in my faith. I'd kind of walked away from my faith. But there came a point where God put somebody in my life named Pablo who brought me back to Christ right before I hit those, like, crazy, uh, crazy college years. And it saved my life. It saved my life because I had two options in front of me, right? I had two ways I could go, and God was gracious enough to dip down and grab me at the most vital point in my life. And I think God wants to do that to you. The question is, will you trust him? What are you trusting? Do you know that this God is not a, is not a God who is distant but near, that loves you, that knows you, that knows your heart? that thinks the best about you? Wherever you're at today, I just want you to know, whether, whether you have never considered following Christ or whether you have and, and maybe you're in a, a hard place right now, I just want you to know that Jesus is for you. That Jesus put a circle around the world to reach, and that includes you. No matter what you've done, God is Father. And he loves you like a father. So I want to do this as the worship team comes up. I don't know where you're at this morning. I don't, I don't pretend to know where you're at, but I want to at least offer you an opportunity. If you haven't made that decision, or if you have, but you want to recommit, I wanted to share this prayer. I wanted to read this prayer, and you can pray it with me. It's going to be on the screen. You can pray it with me. And, um, and we're going to have a prayer also available over here after. Just as a, as a moment between you and God, where I'd say, yes, Jesus, I'm choosing to trust you. And sometimes we don't know everything. We're not going to know everything. Sometimes we have to make a decision without all the facts. Sometimes we just need to make that decision. So I would just invite you to pray this with me. You can repeat after me. Jesus, I believe you are the Son of God. 
that you died on the cross to rescue me from sin and death. And to restore me to the Father. I choose now to turn from my sins, my self-centeredness, and every part of my life that does not please you. I choose you. I give myself to you. I receive your forgiveness and ask you to take your rightful place in my life as Savior and Lord. Come reign in my heart. Fill me with your love and your life. And help me to become a person who is truly loving, a person like you. Restore me, Jesus. Live in me. Love through me. Thank you, God. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Lord, we just pray and celebrate, God, that you set people free. Lord, that you are good, and today we choose you again. We choose you this morning. We choose to follow you and trust you. No matter what we're facing, no matter what hard place life has us at, we choose you this morning. And it is, is every head is bowed and eye closed. If you made that prayer for the first time or recommitted today, would you just raise your hand? Amen. Amen, brother. Lord, we thank you for this moment. We thank you for saving us. We thank you for sending Jesus to the world so that we could experience new life in you. And God, we want to continue to celebrate the amazing work that you did, the, the, your death and your resurrection that fills us with your joy. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Church, we're going to stand and worship today. If you need prayer, we're going to be right over here ready to pray with you. Thank you for being here. We're going to continue in worship.